0: Alright, so my name is James, uh, one of the pastors here at Northview, and it's wonderful to to jump into a new series this week that we're calling But God. Now, uh, each week when we're in this series, the next eight weeks, we're looking at a different kind of aspect of something from Scripture where life got really hard for people. And where, whether it's loss of hope, or despair, or anxiety, or uh, death, or destruction, whatever it may be, and how in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that loss, God shows up, and we have these most amazingly powerful, some of the most amazingly powerful words in all of Scripture, those two words of but God. When life is hard, when things are, are, are going the wrong way, but God. He shows up, and he brings himself into those situations. Sometimes delivering and turning it over, sometimes just being present in the midst of it. And so another title for this series could be, Life is Hard, but God is Oh, Oh, So Good. And today's message is going to be titled, When All Hope is Lost, But God. And I want to be honest with you guys, this has been a, a quite a hard week uh, for us, uh, personally, in the Lund household. Um, I was very excited about heading into this new season of Northview. Uh, Last week, or the week before, we got the staff together and had a time of vision casting and planning for the future and getting real excited about all that stuff and ready to hit the ground running with the baton pass from Steve from last week and uh, lots of prayer and anticipation and excitement for what God has in store. And then this past week, my, my father went really backwards in his health. He's been in the ER all week and most of the week was spent either in the hospital or dealing with stuff. My mom's basically just been living there. We almost lost my father on Tuesday and on Wednesday, and it's complications from pancreatic cancer. And it's uh, it's it's slightly better right now, but we're we're right at that precipice right now. And so, um, uh, it's it's been I'll just be honest, it's been it's been really hard. I've never seen him so weak. Never seen um uh, something so hard. And I think he's watching. I love you, Dad. Love you, Mom. Um, but it's 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 been rough. Um, to see a man who has the highest pain tolerance I've ever known in my life, to see him struggle and in so much pain and so, so weak. who used to be as strong as an ox, and, and as well, the incredible pain of just knowing all that's lost, of what was supposed to be in this time. And it's like, Lord, why is this happening? Like Why, why can't you just heal him, God? Why, why can't you just, just touch him? I've seen it so many times. I've prayed for so many people to be healed. I've prayed for my dad thousands of times, and it's not happening yet. And it's just like, Lord, just, just touch him. Watching my mom carry such a load, Mom, I'm sorry, I know it's hard. Um, And I'm going to be sharing more in the next few weeks because it's kind of funny the way God works. A few months ago, when I was, we were looking at the series for this summer of But God, of looking at God bringing hope in the midst of sorrow and pain and loss and, and heartache, it was something that I really felt the Lord put upon our hearts to share and, and to go on as far as a lot of people have walked through a lot of stuff. And it was supposed to be a series where it was like me being able, because I've been meeting with so many people experiencing loss, and it was supposed to be a series where I get to kind of just, as, as all the people I'm meeting with who are suffering so much, for me to be able to say, I just want to be able to bring the Lord's grace and presence into your life. Um, and that's dangerous things to think as you begin teaching, because the way God often works is uh, he brings it right into the person that's preparing it, and so uh, I've been walking through a lot. It's been some heavy times, and uh, I want to be honest, the next few weeks might be a little raw as we enter into some of these things and just see God meeting in, in different areas of brokenness and pain, um, but I, I'm looking forward to it, because this is real. God is raw. He is real, and he dresses us, and today's message, we're going to look at the life of Jeremiah, um, and, uh, and and we're going to see God being present in those places. But as, as we begin, we start, we finish this morning. Thank you, worship team, for, for that. There was that song that we finished with of the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And those are incredible words of encouragement. And, and i was asking you, about where do you think that passage of scripture comes from? If you were to think about it, for many people, they think maybe it's, it's a, a psalm of David that is uh, proclaiming the Lord's deliverance in a time of great difficulty and pain. For others, maybe they, they, you might think maybe that's one of the, like, the doxologies of Paul as he's pointing people to the incredible steadfast love of the Lord in the midst of, of, of circumstances that, of, that he has, God has delivered him from. Or, or maybe it's out of Mary's song as she recognizes that she carries the Messiah within her and she gets to praise the Lord for how faithful and steadfast he is in the midst of the pain. But the truth is, it's it's in none of those places. In fact, what are some of the most beautiful words of Scripture aren't found in a passage of praise uh, that's traditionally seen that way, but found in the book of Lamentations. In chapter 3, right at the very center of the book. And I want us to look at that now. Chapter 3, verse 21. It starts this way. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You know, it, it's been said that the three most important rules of Bible study is context, context, and context. I think we have chapter, the, the, chapter 3 thrown out there, we'll get to that in a second. But I want you to look at the beginning of chapter 3 to see the context of this passage, this this most famous passage of verse, and I want to look just before that. Here's that section just before, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, and look at the context of these incredible verses of hopefulness and praise and trusting in God. So chapter 3, verse 1, it starts, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. Those are some intense words. It keeps going. Verse 2, he has driven, this is Jeremiah saying this, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. He's speaking of God here. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again. All day long he has made, he being God, Jeremiah says, has made my skin and my flesh grow old and he has broken my bones. Verse 5, he has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Seven, he has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he, being God, shuts out my prayer. This is the prophet Jeremiah praying this. Nine, he has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my path crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. Again, the prophet Jeremiah saying this of God, his father. He drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is so i say my endurance has perished so has my hope from the lord i remember my afflictions and my wandering the bitterness and the gall i will remember them and my soul is downcast within me wow that is intense So what on earth is happening to someone, especially a prophet, a guy whose job is to hear from God, who's closer than than anyone else alive at that time? How is it possible that Jeremiah reached this depth of despair? Well, he's sitting in the ruined remains of the city of Jerusalem. And so just a little bit of background on what's going on here. Jeremiah was a priest who was called at a very early age as a teenager to work in the temple as a priest of the Lord. And so his whole life was devoted to the temple of serving God and following him and the dreams of of that be his whole life calling is serving the Lord, worshiping the temple. And then the Lord calls him as a prophet in the midst of that and says, now you have one primary job and that is to give the message of repentance to the people of Israel. Because of the way they've turned away from me, there is great destruction coming upon them and you need to tell them everything I tell you to say. And pretty much he has one singular message for 40 years. Every day he goes out with one message, repent, or Babylon is gonna come and take you away as slaves and destroy the city, right? That's his singular message. Repent or judgment is coming upon us. We must turn back to God. His entire life is spent with this singular task. And the crazy thing is, in his entire 40 years of ministry, not a single person listens to him or believes his message. Well, except for two people. But it's not the people you want to believe you. One was King Nebuchadnezzar, and that's the Babylonian Empire emperor who's coming to wipe out the people of Israel. And the other one is Zaradan, the commander of Babylonian Empire's army. And he come in, and those two guys love Jeremiah because as they come in, they're like, wait, there's a guy telling everyone to surrender to us and then we're gonna destroy them? That's awesome. And they give him a place of honor, they give him food, they give him anything he wants because they think Jeremiah is awesome. He's working for them in their opinion because he's been telling all the people that these guys are coming and destroying. Eventually he tells them, surrender to the army because God is in this. This is judgment. So for 40 years, no one listens to Jeremiah. In fact, it's the opposite. Everything he does in his life hits a wall. He is beaten, he's imprisoned, he's thrown in a well, he's starved. He doesn't get to marry or have kids. His life has been so hard for the singular task of calling people to repentance. And all we see from his obedience to God in the midst of horrific circumstances. But there's another beautiful message here looking at the, Jeremiah's obedience and the success that he has following God in the midst of worldly understanding of what success is, because by the world's standards, he it was a miserable failure. But by God's standards, you see, he was faithful right to the very end. And all of this culminates in 586 BC. 586 years before Jesus comes, there is this horrific siege where Babylonians come and lay siege to the city of Jerusalem for two years. One of the most horrific sieges of all time. Almost everyone in the city is is wiped out in that process once the siege breaks. And and even during the siege, it's beyond horrific. So during those two years, they run out of food, and there's multiple stories of, of mothers eating their own children, of people just dying in the streets. The depths of the horrors are things that most of us could never comprehend. There's no words in the English language to begin to describe the hopelessness, the fear, the brokenness that was experienced in that city at that time as the walls crumble and all the people are taken. the ones that are living, most of those are taken away as slaves to Babylon and marched across the desert. And what remains is the poor, the farmers, and Jeremiah. Not one stone standing upon another of the great temple that Jeremiah devoted his life to serving. So nothing remains. Everything that Jeremiah lived for is gone at this point. Literally everything. His family, friends, community, temple, job, it's all gone. All hope is gone. In fact, let's pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, of lamentations. Feel the pain as he's doing this. I don't want to just take us into a deep place, but this is scripture. This is right from God's words. Verse 11 of chapter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 11. Let's start there. My eyes fail from weeping, Jeremiah says. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. And he's describing what it was like during the siege. He says, They say to their mothers, Where is the bread and the wine? Mama, give us something to eat or to drink. They're begging for food, but there is no food to give. As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city, he says this is as the children's lives ebb away in their mother's arms verse 20 let's jump there speaking to god he says whom have you ever treated like this god again the prophet jeremiah should women eat their offspring the children that they have cared for Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Remember, he's a priest. He's like, the priest should not be killed right in the temple. And so many were slaughtered right in the middle of the temple. Their bodies are everywhere. He says, young and old, they lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and maidens have fallen by the sword. And now he says to God, you, God, have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity as you summoned to a feast day. So you summoned against me terrors on every side. He says, just the way you would invite people to a giant feast, so you have invited me to a nightmare. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. Those I cared for and reared and, and, and brought up, my enemy has destroyed them. I mean, hear the agony of this man's voice. So much of Scripture, is we, we need to be able to get into the, the, the shoes, get into the heart of what it was going on to understand the truth that God is speaking. And this is horrific. I don't know of a single circumstance in all of human history that would have been more horrific than the situation Jeremiah found himself in in that moment where literally everything was stripped away. Worse than Job, worse than... His whole nation is gone. The temple is gone. There's literally nothing to live for for him. And Then he gets to chapter 3, verse 1, and he begins by saying, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. Just saying. It's over. Sitting in the the rubble of this beloved city with death and destruction everywhere, he literally says, all hope is gone. At the top of his lungs, he could scream out, I told you so! For 40 years I told you this would happen, and and here it is. But there's no glee in that. There's There's no joy in him being able to say, this is what I was saying would happen. He is just devastated beyond devastation. Looking at the the dead mothers and the children and everything else, and the entire nation wiped out. It's just these horrific images he's recalling as he's crying out to God in this book of Lamentation, crying out for answers. Why, God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen? Other times, he straight up accuses God of being deceitful. He says, he calls and tells God, you have made me like a pincushion for your arrows. I've become the target, and you're just using me for target practice. You're intentionally causing me pain, is what it feels like, God. How could you allow such agony and suffering into my life? The pain is beyond overwhelming, as you can hear in his voice. And he's just raw in, in, in communicating it to God. I, I love Jeremiah. He's often known as the weeping prophet, because so often in the book, he's just in tears, because his life, to be honest, it sucked. <laughs> it was a life of obedience to a God, but his life, it didn't go the way he wanted. He didn't get the, the extra car. He didn't get the two and a half kids. He didn't get the dog and the white picket fence. He got a life of hardship. And he's just open as he can be with God in his pain. In fact, if you turn to Jeremiah chapter 20, we'll put it here on the slides, but it's just this incredible passage in verse 14 where Jeremiah, again, is another. this is earlier, where he's in another situation where the whole world is just against him. And he says this to God. If you just imagine yourself in his position. He says, I curse the day I was born. Not just that, may the day of my birth not be blessed. And here he goes on, I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. I curse that guy, right? That day is so terrible, whoever was happy on that day, I curse those guys. Let that dude, who was just the happy guy who went and told my dad the great news, let that dude be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord will overthrow without mercy. Destroy that dude because his joy makes me angry because that's how angry I am. I wish I wasn't born to that degree. Terrify that poor dude all day long with battle shouts, making a thing that there's war all around him, that he will never be at peace. I want him to never experience a day of peace in his life, God. Destroy him and terrorize him every day of his life for he did not kill me at my birth. That's what he should have done because that's how hard my life is, Jeremiah says. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born, he says. My entire life has been filled with trouble and sorrow and shame. Do you realize that was in the Bible? Wait a second. This is a prophet of God, chosen by God to lead the people. Don't just curse my birthday. Curse that poor dude who was happy that a child was born. I mean, that degree of raw pain and honesty. You see, Jeremiah is just pouring out his heart honestly as he can with God. And this is in the Bible. This is Scripture. And there's something just beautiful about here. It's just kind of a side note of where we're going. Wouldn't it be great if it was normal and accepted for Christians today to actually be honest with God about how they feel and honest with one another? If we take a page out of Jeremiah's life where we can learn to be honest about our doubts and our questions... And our failures and our pain. And I I've definitely been frustrated with what's going on with my dad recently. I've said a, f- a few things to the Lord of I don't appreciate the way He's handling the situation. I mean, oh, God can just heal him. I know that. I've seen God heal so many people. I've seen God heal cancer. I've seen him heal so many things, just miraculously. Lord. I was preaching on it a few months ago, like Lord, just heal him. That's all you gotta do, and we can enjoy that time together. I disagree with his plan right now, or his lack of miraculous intervention. I've put in protest with him many times as of late, but we need a win with my dad. The losses just keep stacking up. It's like, Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to go. And I feel that oftentimes as Christians, way too often, we can think it's unchristian to be honest with our pain. Somehow the, the Christian thing has become, put a happy smile on and say it's okay, even when you're really hurting whether it be privately with the Lord, or even more so when you come into a church building, that somehow the Christian thing to do is to smile and say, how are you doing? And you say, well, everything's okay. And if someone actually is honest with you, I did it with someone <laughs> this past week, like, James, how are you doing? Because you know, you're, you're taking over to see your pastor, how are you doing? And I go, crappy. I'm like, oh, like that wasn't the answer they were looking for. They wanted me to say, great, I'm so excited. But the reality is my dad was dying. I'd spend much of the day at the hospital. I, I didn't feel great. And they you tell they didn't know what to do with that answer as a Christian. Because they're like, but that's not the Christian answer. You're supposed to say, but God is good. Well, well yes. It doesn't change the fact that life sucks right now. And at the bottom of a well, just saying, Lord, what are you doing, right? But Jeremiah, he owns this. And oftentimes as Christians, we're no better than Job's friends that are just giving stupid answers and being useless in the midst of people who are in deep pain. Christ has called us to be his hands and his feet. And if we feel some kind of compulsion to smile and put a, a, a rose-colored lens on stuff because we're Christians, we do not understand the gospel or what Christ has done or anything about who God is. He says, come to me, those who are broken and wounded, and I will give you rest. He's called us to comfort one another with his power and his peace. Christ's body should be the safest place for us to come with our pain, our sorrow, our brokenness, our mental illness, our struggles. Our struggles. Coming to church or a small group should be the safest place of all for us to be able to go. And for for many people, it's not the safe place because people just feel uncomfortable when others are sick. And they try and, you know, give a happy, clappy spin and put a band-aid on a pain and say, let's just pretend everything's okay sometimes. But Jeremiah doesn't struggle with that at all. Sometimes when we pretend everything's okay, you know, we literally put a mask on. I mean, it's when we come to to church or we go to a group or something and, okay, it's time to smile, time to pretend I got it together. It's, It's fascinating because... In Scripture, there's actually a word for that. And the Greek, it's multiple times in the New Testament, but there's a word for putting on a mask and pretending to be something we are not. And the Greek word for that is hypocrites. You may know the English word for that. It's called hypocrite. Literally, that's the, the Greek definition of a hypocrite. It's an actor, someone who puts a mask on and pretends to be someone they aren't. And somehow the Christian thing oftentimes is putting on masks and pretending to be better than we are. Literally hypocrites. Which is fascinating because the study that was done a number of years ago said what's the first thing you think of when you think of Christians? Like 97% of the people are not Christians when they thought of Christians. What word did they use? In a study done about five years ago, number one word, like 97% of non-Christians consider Christians to be hypocrites. That's how the world views the body of Christ. I get it. It's so easy to fall into that place of hypocrisy, of, of putting on masks because we feel some compulsion that we've got to pretend it's all okay and all going good. But, you know, it's okay to say life sucks right now. Jeremiah would agree with you. It's okay to say that I don't see God around me anywhere right now. I'm trying to hold on to it, but it's really hard. We don't have to have a positive spin and finish everything, but say, but God is good right at the end of it to make everyone feel better that we're We're saved. Sometimes God is present even when we don't see him. And it's okay to just say, like, I'm hurting. And that's where Jeremiah is right at this moment. As he's writing these things, it's literally in the Bible. He says, I feel like God is using me as targets for arrow practice. This is what Jeremiah is saying. We must be the body and be a safe place for people to be be honest with how they're doing and love them, and be honest coming to God, and honest coming to one another. Not afraid of what many people may think of us if we acknowledge our weaknesses. And so Jeremiah keeps going. Chapter 3, he says this, starting in verse 17, he says, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. and here it is, And so has my hope from the Lord. What happens when the prophets no longer have hope? 19, remembering my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it, and it's bowed down within me. So we see, again, no hope, no understanding, nothing left to grasp on, so overwhelmed, and then we get to this place, the but God moment of the story. One of the most incredible passages to me in Scripture, because of what it follows, What's before it and what's after it, and knowing the circumstances, the most powerful passages anywhere in Scripture, right here, verse 21, he says, But God, or But this I call to mind. Remember, he just said, All hope is gone. There is no point in living. There is nothing we're standing for. And he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Remember, two verses earlier, All hope is gone. There's nothing to hope into. But this I have, therefore I have hope. What is it? Verse 22, here it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness O god the lord is my portion says my soul therefore i will hope in him now he comes back to this truth he doesn't come back to what he feels he doesn't come back to his emotions or his doubts or the accusations against God or his present circumstances or what he can see or what he can touch or, what, or, or even though the rubble that's around him. That's not where he puts his attention. No, he goes back to God's eternal character and nature. He goes back to say, my hope is in God and in his goodness. He says, I can't see his faithfulness right now. Nothing I can see around me looks like a faithful God. All I see is destruction, but this I know... God is faithful. I don't feel his mercy. I feel like he's intentionally filling me full, a quiver full of arrows, he says. I feel like he's ripping me apart like a lion, laying in wait to destroy me. That's how I feel. That does not feel very merciful, waiting for a lion to destroy you, and that God's trying to rip you apart and mangle you. I don't feel that God is merciful, but I know his mercy doesn't end. He says, I've forgotten what love feels like haven't felt it in so long, I don't even know what it feels like, but I know his love is steadfast and that his love never ceases. In fact, his love and his mercy come fresh each day. They are new and they constantly keep coming, and they're even here right now in the midst of the rubble, in the midst of my pain. You see, he's not just trying to make himself feel better and and speak out positive thoughts, some kind of name-it-and-claim-it idea. You see, he's coming back to truth, because truth matters. It especially matters in a day and age where truth is becoming relevant and based upon however we feel where we can have your truth and my truth and their truth and everyone's truth is okay and, and everyone has to decide for themselves what is true. And as long as your truth doesn't conflict with my truth and you don't force it on me, everything's okay. And that's kind of where we're at. and that at. And the more truth is different than others, the more enlightened you are. as You get to have your own experience of truth. And that's the world we live in today. And people feel so enlightened today, it's just, it just boggles my mind because I can't think of a more terrifying world to live in than one in which there does not exist truth, but truth is just relative based upon how I feel and my perceptions of the world that day. But here, Jeremiah, he doesn't come back to his own truth. He comes back to the truth, the living truth, the most foundational, most ancient, most real, most true truth that's ever existed in the universe. And that is, God is good. God is love. And he is faithful, and he's with us right now. That's what he comes back to. In the midst of the most horrific situation in history, this is what Jeremiah holds on to. God is good. God is love. And he's faithful, and he's with us right now. He's right here, present with us right now. And his love is steadfast. And Jeremiah cries out from the deepest pit of darkness and he proclaims, great is your faithfulness, O God. Again, there is no signs of his faithfulness around him. Your love is steadfast even right now with carnage all around and bodies strewn across the place, blood everywhere. He says, your love never changes. Your mercy is here. Again, I can't feel it. I can't see it. I can't taste it. I can't touch it. People are trying to destroy me and attack me. I feel like I've been abandoned. I feel like the enemy is won and I'm a complete failure. And from where I can see, from my perspective, there is no hope found anywhere, but yet I hold on to this truth that you are here, you are good, you are loving, and you are faithful. And that is truth. So I will not allow my present circumstances, as horrific and hopeless as they are, I will not allow them to dictate who you are. I will not allow what I'm currently walking through to tell me who you are or to tell me who I am because I know what is true. I will not trust in my own understanding or interpretation of my circumstances and the situations and the pain, the loss, whatever it may be. I will trust what I know to be true and what I know to be real. More real than the dead bodies around me. More real than the horrors I've witnessed with my own eyes. More real than the endless tears that I have cried. That you are good, that you are faithful, that your love is steadfast, and that your mercy does not end. That is what is real. So he says, so I put my trust in you, not my circumstances. (coughs) Not my poor interpretations, not my feelings of abandonment, but I put it in you. And this is what Jeremiah calls to mind. The faithfulness of God in the midst of all of this. And it's the faithfulness that he's learned since he was a child as he grew up as an Israelite. And he grew up in the priesthood, and he grew up the stories of God. and He's walked with him year after year after year. It's not just a verse that says you are faithful and he quotes that. No, he has the entire history of his life of, of over 50 years of walking with God and seeing him move and all the testimonies of the prophets before and the law and everything else. And all of that together screams to him the truth. through the highs and through the lows, that God has been faithful, that he loves Jeremiah and the rest of his children with a love that is far beyond his own comprehension. And as Jeremiah is at the bottom of this pit, it kind of reminds me like Peter who as he fell in the water, as Jesus tells him to walk on the, on the water towards him. And as Peter falls down and his life is being bowled over by the storm, he's able to look up and see Jesus, the truth, the living truth. And all of a sudden, things start to make sense. The storm is still there, but he's able to see Jesus. Instead of drowning, he's able to come right out. I mean, Jeremiah can say like Job said in chapter 3, verse 15 of Job. He says, though he slay me. Imagine this. Job says, though God slay me, still I will trust him. Job understood something there. Though I perceive that he's the one doing this, I will trust him. Why? Because he's good. My trust is not in my circumstances or my pain or what's going on around me, but in the living God of the universe. Or in Proverbs chapter three, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. To trust God is not just to trust him when we see his faithfulness, when we get what we want, but specifically, it's trusting God when we can't see his faithfulness. When we don't understand what's happening and we know that he is good in the midst of all of it to hold on to God's faithfulness when we can't see Him, to trust His never-failing, steadfast love. And over the years, I keep coming back to this again and again and again and again, Bring back to this truth again and again and again of Jeremiah here in Lamentations. And whenever I'm faced with a reality of hopelessness or pain or uh, tragedy strikes, or maybe I feel like I've been walking through mud that's up to my hips, and it's just, it won't get over. I keep coming back here again and again and again to this passage, to this story of God meeting Jeremiah in this place. And one of the greatest joys that for years I, in South Africa, where we were missionaries, we, we got to lead a Bible school. Where every year we went from Genesis to Revelation through the entirety of the Bible. And one of the greatest joys of that, it's also why we recommend reading through the year in a, the Bible in a year, Because every single year, we got to, in detail, watch God's faithfulness to his people. To Adam, and to Noah, and to Moses, and to Abraham. Even with Abraham literally watching him laughing in the face of God with the midst of God's promises, and watching people turn away from him, and so much sex, and immorality, and turning away from God, and child sacrifice, and watching story after story, page after page, book after book of God pursuing his people faithfully. That's what Jeremiah is trusting in. Not just some verse that's a one single verse, but what he's seen throughout all of history is that God is faithful. And so in my life, when I've reached those points where it's just like, Lord, what the heck is going on? So frequently, it has come to the heck of this place, but this one thing I call to mind. That God, you have been faithful, you are faithful, and you will be faithful. And you are good. I can put my trust in you because you are good. Even if I can't understand how this could happen or how the loved one died or why the diagnosis was so terrible or why I lost the job, or doesn't matter the circumstances. My trust in you, Lord, is in your goodness, not my circumstances. A few years ago, I was really, really struggling with this. One of the hardest ones that I faced on this is I was in South Africa, and a lot of my time in ministry was spent working amongst um, uh, gangsters in, in one of the townships there they're coming from really broken environments and one of the guys I met the, the day he came out of prison I met him he came out of prison for rape and this guy had done you name it everything every possible crime that's the bad ones he had done multiple times some of them and a uh, long story short as we began meeting his life began to radically change I used to gather with him and other guys, and he started to have a total change in life. He began following Jesus and seeing many, ass- and then the, 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 the lifestyle started, started to follow with that. He started turning away from uh, drugs and violence and all the rest of it, and started following Jesus. He even found a girlfriend who happened to be a prostitute that I was also working with, um, and... Uh, and uh, sort of they started falling in love and falling in love. She, she had eight kids by a bunch of different men at that point. And he started then feeling one day he came. And he says, I feel the Lord's told me to marry her because it's time for me to settle down and start a life. And we were just celebrating and so excited for what God had in store. Like, this was amazing. He was giving his life Lord. She gave her life Lord. The kids were beginning to change. It was amazing. And right in the midst of kind of the high, I remember we came back home for, uh, to raise support. I think we even preached here. I think we were to go back. I probably even shared a story or two about him that week where I was preaching here 15 years ago or something. And then we went back, and we were gone for a few months. I went back. I think it was a few weeks before I went to go find him again, and I couldn't find him. And I finally found someone else and said, oh, you didn't hear. I said, what happened? He said, well, he, he went back on drugs. And not only that, in a moment, he just freaked out on the drugs. It, it hit him bad, and he, he murdered his wife. I heard are just breaking down, just thinking, no, that doesn't happen. God doesn't do that. Nope, 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 nope. I've spent years working with him. Like, I'm so excited to start the ministry that we're gonna to do together. Like, this is where it's going, and just watching and just just weeping, just saying, Lord, this is not okay. I protest. This is not, it does not work this way. It's not supposed to happen. God, where are you? This is not the way it's supposed to go. What about the kids? What about the rest of it? You know, I would love to be able to say a few years later that I got some great spin on that story, but there's no silver lining. There's no positive spin where I can say, but the cool thing about it is now all the kids... No. Maybe God's doing something. I hope he is in that midst, but I I haven't heard of it. And I'm left going, Jesus, what are you doing? I don't understand. God, how could you allow this? Because sometimes life is really hard. And sometimes there's some of you in that place right now and you're just like, Lord, where are you? Because it's really hard to see him sometimes in the midst of pain. As kids walk away from their faith, as people die, as dealing with my father right now, and my mother is in so much pain. Reminds me of another story of a few years ago. One of our supporters, a dear friend, he runs a renovation business. And uh, it's just him, a small shop, him and a couple other guys. And he was tell me this this is a number of years ago but he was uh we meet with him and he was sharing how he had just recently gotten a huge loan for a big project and again it's one project that those with small business understand when you get a loan for a project that's you're all in on that one project got this huge loan bottle of materials started working and then the, the, the client totally pulled it and they weren't going to pay a penny he lost massive amounts of money and he was just beyond devastated he was going to lose his house he was going to lose his cars he was going to lose everything he owned because he couldn't pay back the debt and he said that he was telling me, it was, it was, I think it was just the previous week or something. He was like, I went in and in my room, and he goes, and I just fell on the bed, and I was just crying. I was just weeping, just racked with grief and pain. He goes, and I was just wailing. It was like my children were teenagers at the time, and they came around me, and they came and sat with me, and they started crying and praying for me. He says, I couldn't even move. Like, I was just in that place of brokenness. And he says, I couldn't even move. I was just so racked with pain and fear and guilt. And he says, in this past week, he said, I had to go to my men's Bible study that he goes to. He goes, it's all businessmen, and we gather together. And he says, as we gathered together, I felt I had to share. And as I shared, he goes, all of a sudden, I had this revelation. And he said, I told the guys. He goes, and it seems that every week we gather together and we share, almost every week, someone's the world is ending for somebody in this group. Someone's business is upset. Someone's marriage is over. Someone's kids are falling away. And he goes, every single week when we come here, we share. And that eventually, he goes, every single one of those things we've shared, somehow we've seen the faithfulness of God in it. Every single time, he says. And he goes, and so I feel that God has challenged me right now, in the midst of this right now, rather than sit here and say, woe is me, and look how hard my life is. He says, I feel like I'm called right now to say, God, I know you are faithful, and I know you are good, and I'm going to trust you right now with this situation. He goes, because I know a few weeks, maybe it's a few months, maybe it's a few years, I'll be sitting here with you, and I'll be telling you the testimony of how God has gotten me through this one. Just amazing faith in that moment. When he told me that story, it more amazing is I immediately said, dude, stop supporting us. He was our single largest financial supporter, even larger than most of the churches. He was giving so sacrificially, and he says, James, I will never stop that. i like, what are you talking about? Because in fact, I feel the Lord's telling me to increase how much we give in the midst of this situation. I have to be able to hold on, because God is faithful, even when we can't see it. Even when we don't know how it's going to turn out, God is faithful. And I'm blown away by those words of Jeremiah. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. So what about us this morning, right now? Hopefully none of us are experiencing the horrors that Jeremiah experienced to that level. But I am certain that many of us are currently facing all kinds of storms in our lives right now of various kinds. Again, maybe it's the unexpected loss of a loved one. Maybe you relate to what I'm walking through right now. Maybe it's a financial tragedy that's happening in your life. Maybe it's, it's children that are, are walking away from the Lord, and you've been praying for so long, and you're running out of hope. Maybe it's a deep fear or the loss of retirement, of wondering of what you're going to do or what's going to happen or your own security in that place. Or, or maybe you're just feeling alone and isolated in a crowd of people. Maybe you recently graduated, and you're struggling with what to do, whatever it is. We can hold on to this hope no matter what. God is good. He's right here, and he's faithful, even when we don't understand. Maybe there's someone here who doesn't yet know Jesus, and you've been struggling with grief, anxiety, depression, or some level of hopelessness. I just want to say Jesus is our living hope. There is no place that hope can be found outside of him that lasts and is eternal i encourage you, if you're in that place of not knowing Him, give your life to the Lord. Turn over and experience the life and hope that only He provides. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to ask Esther and the team to come back up. We're going go to go in time and worship, but as we do that, I, I recognize this is a heavy message. It's not necessarily lighthearted, let's enter the summer with fun. Uh, blame God for that. Um, I joked with my dad, like, you could have found better timing. Um... But what I want us to do right now is just come to the Lord with your lament. Whatever it is. Just be honest with Him. He can take it. If you've been hurting, don't know what to say, it's fine. You just sit in silence and talk to Him. But if I would encourage you right now to speak out to God. and Just say, Lord, this sucks. I'm hurting for my child, for my, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's you, whatever it is, and just come to the Lord and just be real and honest with him right now. Say, Lord, this is how I feel right now. If you're feeling honestly great right now, it's doing well, I would encourage you to start just interceding and praying for others right now. I want to trust that God wants to do something this morning. I'm praying. I feel he wants to just meet people right now this morning. As I said before, sometimes we can feel it could be the unchristian thing to do is to be honest and real with where we're at. They don't want to show too much emotion because people will then maybe come pray for us or something, and that could be the worst possible thing that could happen. But let's get honest with God. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit, and let's just be honest with Him. Again, if you're doing great, amen. doesn't mean you do feel bad that you're doing well, but just start interceding if that's you. Start praying for the people around you and asking for God to move. But I just want the Holy Spirit now just to come and Give us freedom to be honest with Him with where we're at. It doesn't mean you have to run forward or fall on your face and cry, though maybe that's what you do. This is between you and the Lord. If you want to come forward for prayer, more than welcome the people that are, are ready for that. Let's just open our hearts to God and just be honest with Him for a minute. Your own lamentation. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us right now. Open up our hearts to be honest with you. Jesus, wherever we're tempted to just put on an armor to pretend that we're okay, where our tendency is towards being a hypocrite, Jesus, just break through right now. Let us just be honest with you right here, right now. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. i'll start and i just say lord i beg of you for healing from my father i beg of you, jesus oh god i beg of you to turn the tide and let's get some winds piled up lord i beg of you for a season of life with him i beg of you jesus strengthen his body lord i can't watch him hurt so much lord strengthen his body I know you love him, Lord. I know he loves you, but Lord, I want a season of life. Strengthen my mother in her pain. Jesus. Oh, Father. Right now, just take a few minutes and just pray to the Lord. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to be real and honest with you. Break through the armor, Jesus.